The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name's Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's the mailbag edition, and we're getting so much closer to your Kansas City Chiefs kicking off the NFL season against the Houston Texans and the questions are starting to sound a little bit more like there's some football related activity happening and we could not be more excited to answer all of your great questions and here to do that with me are my dear pals first find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina Maddie Lane what's good my friend Kit, are you are you okay? You're in an empty room right now. It's a lot of monotones. I'm I'm a little scared for you. Like, are you safe? Are you in a safe place? I'm in a safe place. I'm moving uh, tomorrow. I'm moving into a new house. It's a little bit of a sad, bittersweet day for me. But my wife is the coolest woman ever, and she is letting me convert one of our closets into my podcast studio. And I could not be more excited for that. It's where I'm going to be shredding the tape for the draft. It's where I'm going to be podcasting. I'm geeked out. I've already got the desk built. Just need to install it. I, I'm, I'm so excited, Matt. You have no idea. No, I'm glad you're excited. I'm, I'm excited for you. I was just worried. I wanted to make sure that Kirk Cousins or J.J. Watt hadn't taken you hostage because, I mean, you had slandered <laughs> them a lot over your fame. You know, your famous podcasting career. So I just wanted to make sure word didn't get back to them. That's okay. You're good. Like, this is like a blink, blink twice if Derek Carr has you locked in his basement. <laughs> yeah, like drink a glass of milk if you're trapped by Kirk Cousins or something like that. But <laughs> I did want to throw it over to our other co-host, Craig Stout, the Renaissance Man, Hollywood Hop, Macho Man, Renaissance Savage. How you doing today, buddy? Man, I'm doing fantastic. I've got myself a Casey Fest beer sitting right here. Not a sponsor. I, I'm just ready to sit down here, talk a little football with some friends. We're coming up on the season. It's time, guys. It's time. It is. I mean, like, (laughs) we're going to blink, and the Chiefs are going to be – we're going to be breaking down Chiefs-Texans. We're that close. Like, we are – we're so close. Uh, And we've got so many questions from you guys. And we start with the five-star review questions. If you like the show, if you like the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel, and I don't know why you wouldn't because we're providing – like, I think we've provided content, like, almost every day during training camp. Um be sure to check that out. Leave a five-star review. Ask your question. We answer them. Sonny Shushu asks, Hey, guys. I know Devin Hester is regarded as one of the best kick punt returners of all time. I looked at his stats, and it looks like he returned 3.1% of his returns for touchdowns. Early in his career, it seemed like that 
uh, seemed that Tyreek Hill could be close to that level, but obviously he lost opportunities because of his value on offense. His return percentage is 2.5 percentage uh, on a much smaller sample size. If given the opportunity to only be a return man throughout his career, do you believe Hill could have pushed to be the best return man of all time? Thanks for all you guys do. I mean, it's it's possible. I mean, he's just got that next level change of direction and speed that you know a guy like Devin Hester had amongst those types of athletes at the time that he was returning all those kicks. I, I certainly think that if he was exclusively a returner, we would have seen a lot more game planning around Tyreek Hill as a punt returner. Now, now he's just kind of brought out there to make sure that teams kick the ball out of bounds because you're stupid to kick it to Tyreek Hill. I don't know. It's just hard to say because he is such a complete football player that I just don't think there's a chance that Andy Reid would have ever let that happen. Call in all the shots. Which is the greater slight to Chiefs Kingdom? Patrick LeVon Mahomes the second at number four on the NFL Top 100 or Craig Stout remaining unverified on Twitter? <laughs> This is a great question. This is really good. I like that you paired these two together, but we like to joke around, but I mean, I think you've seen it from the media pundits to NFL players that have chimed in to head coaches. I mean, even Patrick Mahomes himself, like talking about these kind of things that just happened. It's absolutely ludicrous that this is the way things played out. Like there is zero chance that even that this is true. And it's also not cool to rank Patrick Mahomes as number four in the NFL. I'm cutting that question out. Oh, of course you are. Give a man, yeah. You know, the Renaissance man gets a little bit of power, and all of a sudden he's just cutting questions out. Just me still. Question: What will Patrick Mahomes' career stats be when he retires? I mean, it's so tough to judge that. But what I can tell, and, and the funny thing is, is like the the bars and the and the you know the high points are going to change continually up until Mahomes' career is over, because there's going to be guys like Drew Brees that are going to you know going to continue to raise those bars. Tom Brady's not quitting. Some of these numbers are going to just continue to go up. Um, but what I can say pretty confidently, what I feel is Patrick Mahomes will be top three in just about every single passing metric that has any value whatsoever. Uh, and, you know, some of the more advanced metrics, um, adjust, adjusted net yards per attempt, for for instance, he might wind up holding the career. He might be the career leader for that when it's all said and done very comfortably, which basically is like, how many yards it's, it's it's how many yards per attempt you have basically and that's a that's a pretty valuable metric to know and Mahomes just always just blows people out of the water in that regard um but the most important one rings he's going to have 11 uh I, there's going to be a few years there some a little bit of hint a hint of adversity here and there but 11 rings i think we'll all deal with that apnerdsquad at gmail.com this is from gunnery sergeant mcginnis thank you so much for all you do for us in this country uh, with the NFL considering a policy to enable fan sound to be heard in the stadium, should the Chiefs be allowed to adjust this, the in-stadium volume to 120 to 140 decibels to replicate an accurate environment? Love the show, gentlemen. Keep up the great work. No, thank you so much, sir. Uh, I I don't think that's unreasonable. I think I think the Bengals should be punished for not having fans. Personally, I think that. I mean, let's just be honest. You know the the home field advantage is not created equal, very obviously. The Chiefs have one of the best in the world. They should be allowed to pump in 140 decibels. And the the Dolphins should be capped at 30. And the Chargers... Crickets. The Chargers only get to play cricket noises. You can hear the white noise. 
Ian asks, Nerd Squad, I keep hearing about Buffalo Nickel uh, coming up in articles. What is Buffalo Nickel, and how is it different from a typical nickel defense? Thanks, and as always, appreciate the great content. It's typically a heavier nickel defense. Uh, Jim Johnson obviously came up with the with the kind of terminology. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo and Sean McDermott, who are both Jim Johnson disp- disciples, both use that same terminology there. It's usually rotating a safety, a third safety into the box there and using some heavier linebackers, not necessarily great coverage linebackers. We saw last year Dan Sorensen would come on the field, Tyron Matthew would kick down in the slot, and they'd leave Damian Wilson and Anthony Hitchens on the field at the second level there. Just kind of a trying to get a more run-balanced nickel defense while still positioning some of these guys, bringing on that third safety to defend against the pass. But it's, it's realistically just kind of a heavier nickel defense that's more predicated on stopping the run on some early downs. And for the Chiefs, it's just their nickel defense because Tyron Matthew kicks, stays on the field. He kicks over. He's your slot defender. They don't bring on a third cornerback to play in the slot. They just use Matthew to slide down there. They bring in another safety that would take over another deep role or a guy playing underneath hook zones. For, for the Chiefs and Steve Spagnuolo, it's just them playing a typical nickel defense just the way the terminology is split out because it is three safeties instead of three corners it's technically considered a big nickel it's called buffalo but for all intents and purposes for the chiefs it's the same nickel package you see all the time from them when you get the three safeties on the field together which is what they always do well the chiefs also rolled out big slow linebackers in that package too so i mean there is one adjustment there kent you will not bring me down anymore with your linebacker slander it does sound like Willie Gay Jr., and I, there's some stuff about him we'll get to later. It does sound like Willie Gay Jr. at least is, uh, you know, is a part of that package. So uh, that's good to hear because he's their best coverage linebacker already. Uh, I'm not gonna get. A, I'm not gonna go too far down that road yet because I think there are some questions there. Cheesy Chief, if you were to create a Kansas City Chiefs themed chess set, which players or coaches would you choose for each piece? Thanks as always for taking the time to address silly questions like this. Your podcast has helped give me a sense of normalcy throughout the last several months. That's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. I don't think we can do all of the pieces, but I think we should all do at least one, just one chess piece, and. And then I think it'd be a little too too difficult to do all of them. But let's do let's just do one each. I'm going to go. Mitchell Schwartz is a knight, kind of there on the edge, protecting the king and the queen a little bit. Not a big mover necessarily, but somebody that you can count on as a key cornerstone of your offense there. Yeah, so my chess strategy is very limited. Um, I don't know exactly at a high-level play all the pieces are used. Like, I know how they all move, but I don't know how people use the pieces at higher-level play. So just for my very base level of chess knowledge, I'm putting the Lizard King himself, Sammy Watkins, as a bishop. Because from my level of chess, the bishop isn't the most aggressive piece. It's a guy that's kind of a little bit more opportunistic. He's there. He catches some plays when people are worried about other people having big games. He comes up in big moments. He's there because, you know, moving diagonally catches people off guard. But he's just not your main guy. He's not the focus of your team. I feel like Sammy Watkins' lizard key works pretty well as a bishop sliding across the entire board at an angle for some reason because they thought that was necessary. I thought uh, I thought you were gonna go with like a Breland speaks joke, 
potentially just like you know can like only turn right or anything like that um I think there is some correlation just in the history of the Chiefs. King Carl, maybe before Patrick Mahomes, really can't do much movement-wise, sticks around way too long. Uh, there was some correlations there with King Carl. His nickname was King Carl. I was going to call him a king. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is very obviously the queen um, because he can do everything under the sun. He's allowed to do whatever he wants. He's what makes this thing go. He's the most valuable piece on the board. Uh, and if there was anything above a queen uh, that could do more than, than – I mean, that queen probably is allowed to, to take two moves at the same time because he's just that good. Uh, Jake asks, what four players are you protecting on the practice squad at this point in time, and who would you rather keep, Daryl Williams or Yasir Durant? Been wondering about this since the, undra- or the UDFA class came out. This is tough because kind of to guess which four players you're going to protect on the practice squad right now is definitely a dicey move. I'm going to say I'm going to protect Tim Ward, defensive end, second-year player, didn't get to play last year. I will also protect Darius Harris, another second-year player, didn't get to play last year, this time a linebacker. I'll protect your Seer Durant, which means I will, for the second question, I'm keeping Daryl Williams. I think they just need a little bit more help on the interior. Daryl Williams is a little bit more ready to play right now. And the final guy that I'm going to protect, I don't know if I have anybody else off the top of my head that I'm ready. Oh, Rodney Clemens, if unfortunately he does not make the roster, which he should, but if he doesn't and I can protect him on my practice squad, get him some more experience, he would be the first guy to protect out of that whole group. Yeah, I was going to say Rodney Clemens is my first guy there. Tim Ward as well. I'm going to I'm gonna protect Bo Pete Keys, give him that redshirt year, keep him on the practice squad there, and then I think think I'm going to go with is Greg Sinat technically uh eligible to be protected yeah, there? Yeah. Absolutely. I, okay. I think that Greg Sinat's a little bit ahead of Yasir Durant on the pecking order there, so I'll protect him. Um this is gonna be kind of a little bit weird, but I think we talked about this. I think the Chiefs release Matt Moore and then they protect him on the practice squad. So that is one guy I am actively protecting. Like it, this whole thing is a little bit different, you know, obviously because of COVID um so he's kind of a he's kind of a guy that um the Chiefs can strategically keep in the building which I think is something they're going to try to do in light of all this Kalijah Lipscomb I think is a guy I want to take a look at because I do think he's going to have potentially some special teams value he has some chops as a receiver uh watch some of his tape uh Yasir Durant and Daryl Williams are guys two guys I'm very intent on keeping the funny you mentioned those guys they're at the top of the list um you know, for different reasons. I think if I was asked to keep one of them, I think I'm going to keep Yasir Durant. I have some questions about Daryl Williams' mental makeup. Um, I think Yasir Durant, I think a little bit of his, like I, he's a little bit bad body. And I think if you work him, work him out a little bit better and you improve his, his body, I think he, he could be a really good player uh, inside or outside. I, probably inside is my guess when it's all said and done. Uh, let's go ahead and go to the Twitter questions now. Steve Gray Jr., biggest camp surprise so far based upon the roughly 30 seconds of film released. There is, like, nothing out there. Um, The biggest camp surprise so far. I think you got to start with Willie Gay Jr. You have to start with him. You know, it seems like, you know, he like the, the limited stuff we've seen is plays on the football at the linebacker position. We saw some today in his mic'd up. And I don't remember very many of those happening last season from Damian Wilson, definitely not Anthony Hitchens, 
definitely not Darren Lee. Uh, ball production from the linebacking core is very evident, which means he should be on the field immediately, in my opinion. For me, it's the lack of siding of Tano Pasnio. And I think you could say this for a lot of other first-team defenders. You haven't seen a lot of Frank Clark, Chris Jones. You haven't seen the known first-teamer stars doing a whole lot of stuff so far. And the lack of seeing Tano Pasnio in any of these little video clips, besides one video clip where they zoomed in so far on just him, you couldn't see a single other jersey number on the field when he batted down a pass. I think there's a reason that he hasn't been talked about a ton, kind of from practice reports. I think there's a reason you haven't seen too many videos of him surface in terms of highlight plays right now. I think they're keeping what they're doing with him a little bit under wraps. I don't think it's going to be anything groundbreaking. I just think he's a lot higher up on the depth chart and a lot more secure in that spot than kind of a lot of people would have thought going into camp, myself included. So I just, I think the lack of passing, you know, news and highlights right now kind of tell you that he's mostly working with that first team. The biggest camp surprise so far is that in the Willie Gay mic'd up video that they released earlier today, he made more plays today in a 30-second video than we have seen the Chiefs linebacking core as a whole make <laughs> at camp in three years, conservatively. I mean... it. You guys, he was everywhere. All the things that we praised and said that he was going to do. I, I mean, that, this is me putting on my engineer cap here and blowing the whistle. Choo, choo, the hype train's coming. I know that it's camp. I know these are camp reps. I know that he's getting some stuff against some twos. But guys, the surprise should be how well that's translating and how quickly it's translating to the field right now for Willie Gay Jr. He is becoming an impact defender, and and it's not just me driving this hype train. The Chiefs are too. It seems like every other day now they've got a special highlight that they've got to show off something awesome that Willie did. I know that they're trying to promote their you know their draft class and get everybody excited about it, but it, it, he's just doing so many things. It makes you wonder how many things we're not seeing that he's doing special as well. Absolutely, you're you're having to read you're not you're having to read between the lines on everything this offseason because the Chiefs are the most locked down down team in the National Football League and it's really not particularly close. Um, but you've got to be excited. They're, they've they've hyped Willie Gay up more the last couple of weeks than they have Clyde Edwards Alaire. That's which and I, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean maybe it's just because there's some Clyde fatigue because everybody's been talking about him for the last three months and they haven't spent much time talking about Willie Gay Jr. Just partially because there wasn't you know you're. He missed a little bit of time last year. There was some question marks about him coming out. Maybe that was some of it. But the, the, the hype train's real, and you should be embracing it. I fully expect Willie Gay Jr. to be a not only a starter, but a surprise stud his rookie year. Like, this might be... I don't want to start it too much because, obviously, we've seen next to nothing. But the vibe is mm. he's going to have a Juan Thornhill-type rookie year. Mm. That's kind of where I'm going. Just as he continues to progress, he's going to get more opportunities. He's going to make more plays on the ball. His his athleticism takes over. Uh, one other nugget, because I just got a picture sent to me by uh, our pal, Chief Bearcat, because you have to overanalyze every single photo from training camp if you want any <laughs> piece of information. Looks like, looks like Legereus Sneed might have run with the ones. That's something else to keep an eye on. That would be Fitting huge. as well. Yeah, Fenton as well. Fenton as well. Yep. Keep an eye. 
you got to look at you got to look for it every single place you can. It's ridiculous, but that's what you have to do. Um okay, T E R O 3. Love the show. Does the first year or does the one year deal get done with Earl Thomas this time? Also Twitter make Barley hop legit with that check mark. Thank you. Okay, you don't need to do that second part and no, no. There's no reason to do a one-year deal with Earl Thomas at this point. Uh, the Chiefs want a versatile safety to go with Juan Thornhill and the Honey Badger. Earl Thomas is slowing down. Earl Thomas is more of a single high safety that now no longer can play with the same range that he used to. Sure, he's smart. He knows. He's seen everything. A lot of respect for the room, but they're going to be fine if they just roll into the season with what they've got, if they're going to add somebody, add Logan Ryan, who can line up in the slot and also can play a little bit of safety. Give that chess piece. Steve Spagnuolo, we've seen him get exotic. We've seen him use guys all over the secondary. If you have a piece that you can't move all over the secondary anymore, you limit what you can do on defense. I just think that's counter to what Steve Spagnuolo wants to do. Give me the versatile guy instead. Drew Cobb asks, does Earl Thomas leaving make the Ravens an easier opponent? If he joins the 49ers, are they a lock for the Super Bowl again? It definitely makes the Ravens not as strong as they were before when he's out there. Like I make a lot of jokes about Earl Thomas right now, and I don't think he's near the player he once was, but he's still a good NFL starter at safety. Like He is still a plus to have out there on the field. They now have to replace him with... Deshaun Elliott signed back Tony Jefferson. People have been talking about maybe getting Brandon Carr to come back and play a little bit of safety or something. Like They're going to replace him with an inferior player. So it definitely doesn't help their defense. And for a team that spent a lot of money getting better versus the run in the trenches and the linebacker group, that secondary is supposed to be the strength of them. But I think losing a guy like Earl Thomas and not having the best one-on-one pass rushers is something to keep an eye on. If he goes and joins the 49ers, they become a better defense. I don't know about a lot to get back to the Super Bowl. I could really see them being one of those teams that goes to the Super Bowl, loses, then misses the playoffs. I could also see it if they have a deep playoff run. I don't think Earl Thomas really swings the needle one way or the other. I just don't think he's that type of player anymore. I just think it's wild that Earl Thomas has had things end poorly at two extremely strong organizations. I just think that's extremely wild to me. I'm sorry. I just that it gives me buyer like anyone looking to go add him. You should have some. You should. You might have buyer's remorse. Like Dallas makes all the sense in the world because they just they just they just make a ton of sense because they just don't care about anything and things always backfire and blow up in their face on these kinds of things. I'm sorry. Um, Anthony J. 1977. Did the Chiefs dodge a bullet by missing out on Earl Thomas last year? So it's, I think it kind of just depends. Like, I, I think there's, there's so many layers to this thing because the Chiefs probably lose Juan Thornhill. They don't have Juan Thornhill on this football team if they go out and sign Earl Thomas is my guess. So then you're doing something else with that draft pick. So you're not getting the long-term outlook of Juan Thornhill, which is extremely bright. And if you're asking me if I want Juan Thornhill for the next three years over Earl Thomas, I think I do. I want the projection and the upside of that kid over an aging Earl Thomas. The good thing about the Chiefs situation, it's not completely apples to apples with the Ravens. You got to remember that the Chiefs offered Earl Thomas a one-year contract. The Ravens stepped in and offered a massive contract to pull him into Baltimore. The Chiefs would have been done with him last year. So if something didn't go right last year and things, you know, things didn't pan out the way they thought they would 
which it sounds like it hasn't with Earl uh, in Baltimore, they could have moved on this year. Um, you know, they could have moved on. So that is a nice little thing to have with that. Yeah, one year deal. If the Chiefs still win the Super Bowl, then no, they they didn't dodge a bullet. Now, obviously, it's nice having Juan Thornhill under club control for three more years on the cheap. I I'm ecstatic to have Juan Thornhill. Don't get me wrong here, but you can't really say that they dodged a bullet because they would they wouldn't have been investing multiple years of salary cap space just for that one player. So I said this on Twitter, and I fully believe it. Earl Thomas has to be the star. He has to be the unquestioned leader. He has to be the guy on the defense he plays on right now. I think you've seen as Bobby Wagner became the centerpiece of that Seahawks defense, all of a sudden things started falling apart. He goes to the Ravens defense, to which they might not have a star on defense. I guess you can make the argument that it's either a Marcus Peters or Marlon Humphrey, more likely. They don't they don't focus around Earl Thomas. Those last two teams that Kent talked about, Earl Thomas was no longer the unquestioned guy at the top of the ladder, the top of the food chain for the defense, and shockingly, it fell apart. Apparently, he wasn't being a good team player. Other leaders around weren't, having, weren't getting along very well with him. So why is that going to be different if he came to the Chiefs, where he's going to have to battle it out with Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark and Chris Jones? Do we think Earl Thomas is beating out any of those guys to be the leader of the locker room? No. And if he's not going to fall in line with what they're saying, which it sounds like he's struggling to do, then it's just simply not going to work out. He's got to go to a team where he's the top guy, and I don't think he's good enough to be that anymore. I don't know if he's the right kind of leader to go in and take a bunch of young guys under his wing and be like, this is how you become the best NFL player you can be. If not, I think he'd be still in Seattle, or he would be still in Baltimore if he was working that way. So yeah, I think the Chiefs dodged a bullet. Now, would they still want a Super Bowl if they had him last year? Yeah, probably, because it's not like Juan Thornhill helped win the Super Bowl and the playoffs, and I think they'd get there with or without him. It's just, I'd rather have Juan Thornhill going forward now, so give me Juan Thornhill instead of Earl Thomas every day of the week. Chief in Australia, I'm assuming. Chief in AUS. I I hope that's it. Uh, Do you genuinely think that Willie Willie Gay Jr. has a chance to be the best linebacker from this year's draft class? Yes. I, I, I do. His particular blend of size and athleticism are rare. They are ridiculously rare. So I think that you're going to see if Willie Gay Jr. develops mentally, can stay on the field with Steve Spagnolo, develop under Matt House into the best possible version of himself. Absolutely he can because you just don't find guys that are 250 pounds that can move like a man like that does. You saw him basically, I mean, the Chiefs had to bring a shovel out for Mike Rimmers because he got buried so far in the dirt by Willie Gay on a stacked edge there. This is a situation where a guy like that shouldn't be that explosive, shouldn't be that big. A lot of the other linebackers that are in this draft that are coming out tend to be a little smaller. Patrick Queen's a little smaller. You know, Logan Wilson, a little smaller. Guys like that that might be able to compete with it. Kenneth Murray's a big dude, but he's one of the only ones. Isaiah Simmons is smaller. So these guys are kind of this new breed of linebacker. If Willie Gay can kind of bridge that athleticism gap while still maintaining that size, you're going to see him be more of a do-it-all linebacker, more of a complete linebacker. And, you know, I think that that can make him into the best linebacker in the draft when it's all said and done. He has all the physical skill set to do so. I mean, he's big, he's fast, he's explosive. 
He showcased the ability to cover, to run, to hit. Like He has every physical attribute you could ask for to be the best linebacker from this class. Limited sample size in college. I do think that like you haven't seen everything you need to know from the IQ standpoint. Like just not that he's not a smart football player. If anything, I'd say the chief, the way the Chiefs are really excited about him and the way everyone talks about him, he's showcasing he's actually a very intelligent football player. He's really good on the field. You just don't have as much film to fall back on because of the limited usage and just being in trouble a little bit in school. I'd still say Patrick Queen right now is my odds on favorite to be the best linebacker from this class. I liked him the most going into it. Nothing yet has changed my mind. I think he just showcased a little bit more on the IQ side as well as still being a good athlete. But could Willie Gay, who's significantly bigger, be a better linebacker when it's all said and done? Absolutely. Like There's nothing stopping him but just between his own ears. And right now, just for us on the outside, that's a complete mystery because we don't get to work with him all the time. So I'm excited for it. I think there's a good chance he ends up as one of the best, if not the best linebacker from this class. And I like how excited the Chiefs are about him when you hear guys talk about him. Yeah, you can't coach those measurables. And that's really just where it starts. That's a really fantastic baseline to have. And if you believe that you can you know, allow him an opportunity to pick it up mentally, and if he does and he thrives, then yeah. I mean, the, the sky's the limit for this kid, genuinely. I mean, he's one of those few linebackers that really went outside of you know the, that that top few guys that legitimately has a chance to be one of those guys um there's just there's so there's so many stiff slow or undersized linebackers there's just so many different guys that you know fall in those those tiers uh or those descriptions in rounds in, in day two and three and willie gay is not one of those guys um he's genuinely got a chance to to if he can pick it up mentally to be one of those guys that winds up going in the first round, uh, he could be a steal like that. We're going to take a break and we will be back right after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Continuing the questions from Twitter, and Jeff Pars asks, if the pandemic happened last year, how does the season end for the Chiefs? Whole new defense and players. I don't think Super Bowl champs. So this is a tricky question because you don't know how opting out is going to work. You don't know how you know, just how everything's going to line up at this point in time. Like there's a lot of different variables that would come into play here, but new defensive coaching staff, so many new players, an offense that went, underwent a lot of turmoil throughout the middle of the season and even through training camp, like that is not going to stack up well. If the Chiefs with all those new pieces were coming in together, I think you're going to have a team that's going to kind of flounder out a little bit more like the 2019 team did. Maybe you don't even make it quite as far or as close to the Super Bowl just because you have so many new pieces, but it's essentially just be Patrick Mahomes, take us as far as you can despite everything else going on again. And if he's not as good as he was that first year, it just simply isn't going to work out as well. So luckily for the Chiefs, it did not happen last year and they got to get everyone's feet underneath them as the year went on. I do think that they at least have the leadership and the structure 
to handle something like that, even with Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark coming in for the first year last year, I do think that they would have had enough, you know, voices in the room, positive alpha voices in the room to overcome some of the early struggles that inevitably would have happened if the pandemic was there. But what I am certain of is that would have been the worst damn offseason in Chiefs history. My, you remember all of the crap that happened before last year? Yeah. That would have sucked if the pandemic had hit at the same time. I think it's it's kind of like the funny thing is, is like I don't it's not funny there's nothing fun about it. we don't know how this season is going to pan out guys mm-hmm. we have no real clue what kind of obstacles whoever wins the Super Bowl is going to have to overcome we don't know what it's going to look like remotely so there's really like it's it's hard to compare it exactly because none of us have a a clue what to expect for this season. And yes, it would have been a learning curve for this defense. And you heard Juan Thornhill talking. It's like the first half of the season, they were all just still trying to get a feel for how each other plays with each other. Obviously, that learning curve still would have been there with the pandemic. So, you know, it might have been, it might have been the same. But I think what we don't understand is, it's not to put a damper on anything. It's like we don't know what this season's going to look like. Maybe the Chiefs' leadership that they have, such the strong leadership that ultimately allowed them to to come together and do what they did last year, maybe having that leadership is more valuable during the pandemic or just as valuable during the pandemic. And some of these other teams that were out there playing at a high level, maybe Baltimore has some mistakes that happen because of you know a different type of leadership than what the Chiefs had. The Chiefs had top shelf across the board, and they had accountability. And the reason that they went to the Super Bowl was because of accountability. And the reason they should be the favorite during this pandemic is because of the accountability that they have. So I think they would have figured some things out too. And talent talent wins a lot of games in the National Football League, and the Chiefs have it more than anybody else. Captain Denny, is there any event you feel you can beat Patrick Mahomes in? Are you kidding? No. No, because if if I did once, he would ruin my life when he learned how to do it 48 hours later and was twice as good at it as me. I time out. I really want I want us all to try to come up with something that we think he can we can beat him in. Please. Let's just try. I I there's so many good jokes out there, Craig, but I want you to actually I want to I want I want you to actually try on this. I think that I could bowl better than him. For a little while, <laughs> I think I think I could beat him for a couple weeks until it ate at him. And like I said, he just practiced and practiced and practiced, and then he got amazing at it and beat the pants off of me. I could beat Patrick Mahomes in right shoulder external rotation. Um, he's had a long career of throwing a football, so internal rotation with his right arm is going to crush me. But external rotation, I could definitely get a little bit more than him because I've just thrown a ball a lot less than he has, Kemp. Uh, I th- okay, now, if you want a real one, because I feel like I kind of mad answered that and you had to come and think, oh, let's not joke about it before I got my joke in there. I know you had to come wet blanket the whole thing before I got it. Oh, go. that was a that was a joke. But yikes, the I real like thing, I think I could out Olympic lift Patrick Mahomes because he would not have gone through as much practice actually doing a form of like a snatch, especially power clean. He's he's pretty jacked, so he's probably got me. But a snatch, I bet he hasn't spent a lot of time learning it just because as a quarterback, there's zero reason for him to handle a ton of heavy weight overhead. It would make no sense. 
Give him a while, sure, he's going to definitely crush me. But right now, cold, no warm-up going right in. I think I could take him there. I think I could type faster than Patrick Mahomes. This isn't a joke. I'm literally literally trying to find something. I think I could type faster than Patrick Mahomes. For some reason, I don't think Patrick Mahomes is out on his computer doing much. Like he's, If anything, digitally, he's on his tablet reviewing the film. I think I could obliterate him in a typing, a speed typing contest. Accuracy and volume. Derek Litke asks, one of the questions after Patrick, uh, after Patrick Mahomes' NFL MVP season was how he would adapt after having a full season of film on him. Didn't matter, obviously, but how do you guys feel about Lamar Jackson and the Ravens in terms of a full f- season of film on him? On Jackson. If I was smart enough to tell you how defensive coordinators were going to adapt to this film, I would not be sitting here doing this podcast. I would be (laughs) coaching a football team somewhere. I do, however, feel confident that this year or next year, I do think the COVID season has put a lot of stress on coaches. The fact that they haven't had a full training camp, I do wonder how much time has been spent specifically preparing for the Baltimore Ravens offense that would have been done in a normal offseason. But by next season, at the absolute latest, I do expect some teams to have wrinkles, some ways to slow it down. You can go back, and this is a lot better, and he's a better player, but you go back and look at Colin Kaepernick when he first hit the scene, their read option. And the RPO stuff, but specifically the read option was destroying teams like the Packers and the playoffs. Nobody could stop them when they decided to run it. All of a sudden, one year, everyone studied that offensive play, that design, and the next year, like it was just significantly less effective. That is going to happen unless Lamar Jackson keeps evolving, unless he continues to be a better passer. If he can start being a traditional quarterback as well as doing everything they do, it's going to be a lot harder. But yeah, I think this year you start to see it, and by next year you do see some teams that are able to shut down the same style of offense from the Ravens you saw last year. Not anything new they do, but what you saw last year. Yeah, and Greg Roman's a good offensive coordinator. I don't think that it's going to be a stagnant offense. So I, I agree with Maddie there. If you've got the athletes, you can stop him a little bit. But we did see basically the two teams that were able to come up with stops to Lamar Jackson were the Chiefs and Steve Spagnuolo and then the Titans in the playoffs with Dean Pease. I think you see two good defensive coordinators there that came up with good game plans. Yes, he played Bill Belichick last year, but I think if you watch that game, Bill was holding a lot back. Bill was expecting to unleash some more stuff in the playoffs later. So I think you saw Pease and Spagnuolo put together a good game plan to stop Lamar Jackson. You may see some teams kind of revisit that, or you just may see these better defensive coordinators figure out the right ways to come out of their way and stop Lamar Jackson, make him throw the ball more. Maddie. Yeah. I think Maddie said it last week. It's like some of it might just be making the Ravens play from behind Mm -hmm. uh, because the Lamar Jackson having to sling the football has not been always like just, just having to play from behind and try to sling the football has not been successful. Just there's, there's no argument for it. Like great football player. And when things are rolling and when things are perfect, that is a well-oiled machine, but you know, trying to make trying to like make Lamar Jackson uh, just a passer is a is a win for your football team. KC twenty four twenty nine. I think Alex Okafor is kind of being overlooked. I know some people have been frustrated so far with the injury and all, but I think he will be a solid contributor. Should we be talking more about him? 
I would have seen this path a couple weeks ago, but since the Chiefs came up to Alex Ogafor and kind of offered him an ultimatum of, hey, take less money or we're going to cut you, is that's essentially what they said to him, and he took the less money to stay here and play, which is a good move for him, so on and so forth. We talked about that. But the Chiefs were willing to let him go, or they were willing to offer him less money than he would get if he took this deal. So like that lets you know that they don't necessarily rely, they're not relying on him to be a starter. They're not relying on him to be an eight, 10 sack guy, or they would have never came to him and said, hey, please take less money from us. I actually think Tondo Pasnu is the guy that I think we're sleeping on a little bit right now. I think he's the guy that's going to come closer to eight to 10 sacks if he's healthy. I just have to have this feeling, just the lack of information about him, how he looked down the stretch last year and the development he showed in one year with this new staff. I'm feeling a lot better about K-Pass than I am Ogilvy right now, just from the way the team's acting. Tony 44 how much should we read into the starters for the open practice this past weekend, Craig? I mean, I think that there's a, a fair bit that we can read into it there. Uh, Tyreek Hill obviously wasn't there. He was replaced by Demarcus Robinson and McCole Hardman out there. I did think that the Fisher, Osimile, Ryder, Wiley, and Schwartz lineup is their best lineup right now until Martinez Rankin gets healthy. On the defensive side of the ball, they didn't have Damian Wilson, and they had Ben Neiman in there at the will with, uh, with Willie Gay Jr. at the Sam. I do think that that, too, was pretty accurate. And like Maddie said there, Tana Passino was the first team defensive end opposite of Frank Clark. That's kind of the way that things have been shaping up for this team so far. So because we are so far into camp, we're three weeks out from the season, basically, at the time that this was put out there. I think it's very fair to say that these are roughly the starters that you're going to have unless some of these guys come back to health and we start seeing them get a little more rotation. Adam J. Hartzig asks, worth taking a swing at Josh Tra- Josh Jackson on a trade with Green Bay? If so, who would we trade? Buddy, that ship has sailed. Josh Jackson uh, has become a very intriguing piece to the Green Bay Packers. They're not going to move on from him now. Now, if you had listened to this show a couple years ago, I don't know if you have, but this is something that we've thrown around several times in the last two years, or maybe last year. Maybe it was just last year. Big Josh Jackson's Josh Jackson fan here on this show. Uh, we all were. We all had him pretty uh, well regarded in his draft class. We were hoping uh, that maybe that they were wanting to move on from him, uh, but alas, he's figured it out. And he's figured it out in Green Bay, and unfortunately for us and for Kansas City Chiefs fans, because he would have been a nice young cornerback to have here in the mix. The Real K-Swag asks, can you guys please put the Eric Fisher truthers on blast? I'm tired of seeing people complain about him after seeing how bad Cam was as his replacement last season. I'm torn on this because up until last year, I would be with you. I think that people that kind of come after Eric Fisher were a little off. I thought he was an above average left tackle. He still very well could be. Like, he's still a quality NFL tackle. He belongs starting at left tackle somewhere in the NFL. But just seeing what Nick Bosa was able to do him in the Super Bowl, and then you can go back and find games of Melvin Ingram toying with him essentially at the same level throughout his career. Like, 
I think there are just going to be some matchups every year where Eric Fisher can be beaten bad enough to cost you the victory. And take no, make no mistake about it. If the Chiefs lost the Super Bowl, it was because Nick Bosa absolutely destroyed Eric Fisher rep in and rep out. So if you can't trust him to handle guys like that, Melvin Ingram, so on and so forth every single week, I do think you have to consider not paying him as much money as you are. That said, I don't think he's bad. He's significantly better than Cameron Irving. You can easily win with him as what we saw. It's just the price tag and the return on investment right now isn't looking as good as it did to start last season. Sports Talk Evan asks, what do you hope the Super Bowl rings look like slash signify and when can we expect to see them? This is kind of a big question in Kansas City. I see a lot of people you know, clamoring to see the design and everything like that. I am not a big Super Bowl ring guy. Like, I want them all to have them and everything like that. And I think it's cool that they pass them out there, but I I haven't really put a ton of thought into this. So, definitely Patrick Mahomes' face just as the, the, the big part of the ring there. And then Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew on either side, just because I think that those were arguably the three most important players to the team last year, just from an overall leadership standpoint. Techno Brad. Asks, it sounds like Kaiser uh, is currently slotted as tight end two. It seems like he is a blocking tight end. Do you think we are going to see more rushing attempts this year, or do you think the plan is to have him in as an extra pass blocker? Well, I think it's worth noting that Deion Yelder is hurt and is not playing right now, so that could be why Nick Kaiser is playing as your second tight end. But even if not, like don't rule out Nick Kaiser just winning the job. And yes, him being a quality blocker helps. But Blake Bell was essentially only a blocker last year. No, don't let that go away. Blake Bell was not a receiver whatsoever. I think Kaiser is a better receiver than Blake Bell is. So the fact that he's playing tight end too, I don't think means more rushing. I do think people have been lost with the Ricky Seals-Jones potential athleticism and stuff like that as a tight end too. When Andy Reid, especially with the Chiefs, wants a blocking second tight end. He wants a guy that can come in and block in line as his second tight end. Every second tight end can block. So I just think people need to accept that and know that either Yelder or Kaiser is probably the lead guy for that role. And right now, Kaiser may be the better blocker and you're going to see what he can do as a receiver. It makes a ton of sense. Antilikos asks, the body for Breland Speaks is certainly there this offseason. Any signs slash gossip of it showing up so far, a K-Pass style leap for him would be huge for going forward. Um, not a ton. I will say I do believe uh, that there is some optimism for Breland Speaks. That's an educated guess. I believe there to be some optimism for Breland Speaks this season. Um, and him showing up in the shape that he did, I think, is a big piece of that. Graham Ballard asks, outside of cornerback, what's each of your top needs on paper for the 2021 draft? Defensive end, I think is what I'm going to go with. They're just losing so many players on that list. Tano Passanio, Taco Charlton, Alex Okafor, all these guys are scheduled to be free agents after this year. Unless somebody comes back, I think that's got to be where you start looking at the very beginning. Yeah, for me, it's wide receiver. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, Sammy Watkins are both out of contract next year. We've talked a lot about the fact that the Chiefs probably need a true X receiver. And McCole Hardman and Tyree Kill, that's not really necessarily their best suited spot. So I'm looking at wide receiver. I'm looking at, just to be different, because 
I think I probably would have gone with wide receiver as well. I think you got to start looking at the offensive line too. You got to continue to build bodies in there. Um, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, I believe on the last years of their contracts in 2021, same with Martinez Rankin, Austin Ryder, not on the roster for 2021 currently. Um, and Andrew, Andrew Wiley, a restricted free agent that year as well. There's just, a, there's a potential for, you know, some need for some additional buys in there. You might want to just throw someone onto that field, especially with an early pick to try to stabilize that position along the interior for Patrick Mahomes. Keep building around him, though, because you got to protect him at all costs. Andrew Nagel asks, with some Power 5 conference games or conferences playing, any chance some Big Ten players fall? I'm a Penn State fan and would be over the moon if Kansas City got Micah Parsons or Fryermuth. Fryermuth is really young and has improved every day. I don't think that Micah Parsons or Pat Fryermuth are going to drop because they don't come out and get a play this season. I think there are guys like Jason Owa. If he decides to come out, he hasn't shown enough to lock in his spot based on his tape so far. Parsons, Fryermuth their top guys. And yeah, there's definitely a chance that some of these Big Ten, Pac-12 players fall, especially as other conferences get a play. It's just hard to know right now because most of the guys that have already declared for the draft are guys who have enough film on the table that you know where they're going to go. You got enough to study for them. And I'm sure as we get more announcements, we'll keep breaking all these guys down. But like I said, I would say Jason Owo would be the first guy I'd look at. That If he declares, he's a guy that would go a lot higher if he got to play one more season. You heard it here first. Maddie says Panay Sewell is going to fall because <laughs> he didn't mention him specifically. He's going to fall all the way to 32 to the Chiefs. This was only about Big Ten players. Oh, you're right. You're right. There is like one thing to think about with all of this, though. I do think like there's so much unknown that we, 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 there's so much unknown about this process, too. Like maybe it's true that we wind up getting two weeks of the senior bowl. Like maybe there's senior bowl training camp, like some people are hoping there is. Maybe there are some more evaluation opportunities for a lot of these guys that we weren't expecting to get that we will. And if that's the case, it could help tell a lot, tell, help tell the stories of these prospects and their development. It is going to be weird to have some kids with some with some recent tape and some kids without, without it. We're going to have to pretend like half of these kids were injured for the year, which is what you have to do for some of these kids with 18, 2018 tape. It's going to be a lot more projection than we're typically used to just across the board. It's going to be really fascinating, uh, but and we'll get there. Uh, Craig and Maddie have done a lot of legwork this week on, on draft prospects. They're way ahead of me there because I've been moving, but... Uh, you know where to find it. You know where to find the draft coverage here in Kansas City. We'll always have you taken care of, and we'll have you taken care of about anything uh, Chiefs-related. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. We'll be back on Wednesday. Be sure to be checking out the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel because we have so much great stuff going on right now. We'll catch you later.